The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome, everyone. Nice to see everybody tonight. So we'll have small groups for the last half an hour. And you might, uh, in your time, um, you might bring up your reflections about any of these first three factors that we've talked about, mindfulness, investigation, energy. Maybe take just a couple questions or comments about the sit before sharing some reflections on effort or energy. And uh, recommending this shift in our practice, like I guided tonight, where you can take the first number of minutes of your sits just to rediscover that continuity of mindful awareness, that sustained present moment awareness. And then when, you know, it will be as sustained and as clear as it will be, but when it seems like the mind has come into some balance, then just drop the resolve in and give yourself several minutes and be prepared to use certain words or phrases, not too much, not too little, to learn something. So the resolve is really to learn something or see something about each of the seven factors, although you don't have to go all the way through the list. Um, so in the next couple of weeks, emphasize the first four, maybe five, but then as the class progresses, then make sure you're moving all the way through the list so you don't have to spend as much time in the first few because we'll be spending more time there tonight like we did tonight. But then in the later weeks, more time in the last three, the more tranquilizing of the seven factors, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. And it, the, the really important thing is to... Understand that the mind is a conditional happening and it's not personal and it, it's very lawful how our minds work. And, uh, one of the sort of basic factors or truths about the mind is that, uh, it is basically expressing or moving out of intention. What the mind does arises out of intention. A lot of the intentions that are, so to speak, driving the mind, we don't notice. They're just sort of under the level of conscious awareness. They're just sort of happening. We're like habitually setting intentions in our mind. And then the mind we experience is the mind that is then expressing those intentions that were unconsciously, habitually set. But now... We're intentionally, consciously, with real sincerity because the heart on this sort of surface level believes in that intention. Yeah, I, it would be good to learn something about mindfulness. You know, it would be good to see something about investigation, like the actual activity of awareness deconstructing curious about the underlying nature of whatever it is that it's observing, wondering 
in an immediate direct sense, is this self, is it me, is it mine, or is this some conditional, impersonal activity that nobody that I can see is directing, but is unfolding like we would see the leaves fluttering the wind, you know, that we wouldn't say that's me or mine, It's but it's something that's observable. We can, can we, you know, it, does investigation reveal that? And energy is, you know, the more, as I mentioned this first week, first and second week, the more the mind understands how much there is to learn, how valuable that learning is, energy just arises, like uh, a desire for commitment and engagement. So anybody experience it? Anybody feel like you learned something about the seven factors and just setting the resolve or have questions about how to set the resolves or what, how you might be practicing in the weeks ahead? But it's important to believe that resolves matter and to speak it in your mind as if the mind will respond. And there are other ways to play with resolves. You can set a resolve to wake up at a certain time when you go to bed at night with real sincerity. And so make the resolve make sense. Like, I really need to get up at this time. And you can set the alarm for a little bit later if you don't have total faith in resolve. And then you have to be very specific. You know, the resolve is to for the mind to wake up, the eyes to open, and look at the clock. Okay? That's my resolve or whatever, but just uh, experiment. Or like you're going to see your partner later in the day and you can make the resolve, I need to check in with this person about this thing. So I make this resolve. And it's really about the clarity and the sincerity of the resolve. And it's really used, no, you don't want to overuse it, but it's nice for the seven factors to practice in this way. So... Any thoughts about how the sit went for a few of you to share with the group before we go on? Yeah, Raha. With the first two factors, it was easy. It was easy kind of to um, check it with myself to see if it's there, energy is there, or mindfulness is there. But investigation... I felt like I need to have a question to investigate into that question. Um, that one wasn't very easy to... Mm-hmm. But it's okay to have some questions. Is this skillful? Like, so the mind has some, you know, sustained present moment awareness, so it's watching the unfolding of experience, and to ask the question, is this skillful or is this unskillful? Is, are things getting tight? Or things softening, releasing, opening up. Or, like I mentioned, is it, is this self or is this nature? Is there greed operating in the mind at this moment? Is there aversion operating in this mind? Is there kindness operating? So there are ways to ask questions. And, and initially you might even, you know, for some of you, you might want to write down some questions like in hindsight after the set, oh yeah, it would have been good, and then have that list of questions available. But ultimately, you want it to be very intuit, intuitive, and you don't want, you want to make sure you're not 
holding back when asking a question would be really useful or overdoing it like in a forceful way imposing the question. Especially if the mind is already naturally investigating, naturally deconstructing, opening up, seeing the conditional nature. Because remember, what investigation reveals is not conceptual. It doesn't deliver a conceptual answer. Oh, this is impersonal. Or, you know, this is unskillful. It's more the direct and immediate scene. And then the conceptualizing process might be able to then say, oh yeah, that was unskillful. But the scene of the unskillfulness of what the mind was doing, like greed operating or aversion, irritation operating, the scene of it doesn't require any kind of analytical or conceptualizing activity. It's a direct and an immediate intuitive knowing. That's the kind of investigation we're doing. So don't assume it's not happening. So part of why we're making these resolves is to recognize that quality of mind doing what it does, operating in the moment as some expression of the mind. So part of when we set that resolve, part of what we're, the confidence comes from that these qualities are already operating in the mind, but just not being so clearly recognized. So that's more a confidence that I can see more of what's already there. Not that there's going to be more investigation there, but I'm going to pick it up more, recognize it more, what is already there. But the mind's not so much in the habit of recognizing. Yeah, any other questions or reflections from the sit tonight? Yeah, Helen. I saw a lot of investigation because when you said, okay, we have to do this, my mind went, oh no, not tonight, I'm too tired. And it was a big sinking, so I labeled it doubt. And um, I saw how doubt really hurts. And then from there... Later on, doubt came up, and my mind said, don't go there, before I even reacted. So I thought that was interesting. But I've seen that um, by just asking questions in my everyday life now, if I, I used to struggle, if I had a question, I had to figure it out right then and there. But now I just drop them in and just let them go, and the answers come. Yeah, implication. Yeah, it might be at two days later, but mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, that's huge because I used to suffer over trying to figure out things. Yeah, and that's a really good point to make about the resolves is just do it with sincerity and confidence and don't worry what happens. Don't try to make the mind see something that it hasn't seen before. Just have the sincere wish to learn something, to see something the mind hasn't seen before in that period of time. And don't feel like, because, you know, we're practicing as a group, I wanted to get through the first four tonight. But you can be more intuitive about how much time, like if you're really learning a lot, don't feel like you have to go on to the next factor. You can just keep learning with the factor that you seem to be learning a lot with that night. And the other 
thing that I was reminded of when Helen was sharing is, and this relates to effort, and maybe we'll just go to effort so I have 15 minutes before we need to break up into small groups for the um, small group sharings. But uh, it's just interesting in how the seven factors are laid out because there is this investigation, and Helen mentioned, you know, she was feeling a little sleepy or tired. But it's interesting when the mind is encouraged that there's something to investigate, that it's capable of investigating, that it's investigating anyway, right? That effort of investigation leads to energy, leads to a willingness to be more committed, more resolved, more persistent, more dedicated, more, you know, because there's, you know, the more that the effort of investigation or the more that investigation is recognized, then by definition, the mind is understanding there's something, there's a happiness and a a liberation that can be uncovered here. I mean, isn't it true that if we were doing something where we were getting a lot of positive feedback, we would keep doing it, right? I mean, however you imagine it, a kid on an Easter egg hunt, you know, if somebody's not finding any Easter eggs, some kids, depending on their background, you know, they give up, right? Because it's like, the last thing I want to do is try harder and then fail, right? So I'm going to cut my losses and pretend this whole thing's a sham, you know? There are no eggs here anyway, right? As opposed to like a child who gets a, has a lot of success, you know, they just... Go for it. So that's the piece of investigation that we want to see is that when there's a continuity of present moment awareness, a non-conceptual presence or present moment presence that isn't so mediated by our concepts, but more the mind is connecting with the way it is. And then in that, with that continuity of awareness, with a little input, right? The little input of teachings from the Buddha, for example, a little bit of teaching about right view, or a little bit of teaching about what's skillful and what's unskillful. And then we use those Dharma frames, those teachings, and that sort of illuminates our present moment non-conceptual awareness or activity of the present moment, right? Oh, this is unskillful. This is skillful. My heart's getting tight. My heart's loosening up. Things are getting heavy. Things are, oh, this actually is impersonal. This is actually changing. This is much more ephemeral than I thought. Right? It's like, it's amazing to be learning like that and to feel the energy coming in, the, the sense of devotion, like a real devotion. So the, the point is, one of the points in effort is that the energy comes from application of the mind there's really like a lot of times we think i need energy in order to apply myself to the present moment but it doesn't seem to work that way we just have to apply ourselves because that's what we do even if we don't have energy like that's why helen's point was the way she talked about it i thought was so useful because i forget exactly how 
the exact words, but something like, you know, noticing she was sleepy, noticing the doubt coming in, and getting interested in the doubt, right? Investigating the doubt instead of identifying with the weight of doubt and giving up. And it was that identification or that investigation of the doubt that was energizing, right? That shifted, opened things up. Now, the more we practice, the more we, in a way, we lead with confidence that there is something interesting here. You know, that there's a kind of gratefulness, not every sit, but, and even when there's not, it's, it's not because it isn't energizing, it's because we're in one of those phases in our practice where it's really intense or really intensely unpleasant. It's not like it's not interesting, it's just really unpleasant. Because it is that way sometimes. And then it's like, uh, well, I'll do it later. I mean, it, we, the mind still knows it's good to do, but it doesn't want, you know, doesn't want to bring that much wholeheartedness. Because at some point, the only way to continue our practice is the application of effort has to be so strong to match the intensity of what's showing up in our practice. So that there's a balance point where the qualities of joy and tranquility and stillness arise strongly enough to match whatever is unpleasant that might be happening in our practice. So that the mind stays in the game, you know, in the ongoing investigation of what is coming and going in a Buddha's particularly you know, or usual intense way. He says, vigilance is the path to the deathless. Negligence is the path to death. The vigilant do not die. The negligent are as if already dead. Knowing this distinction, vigilant wise people rejoice in vigilance delighting in the field of the wise ones, absorbed in meditation, persevering, always steadfast, the wise touched nibbana, the cessation of greed, anger, and delusion, the ultimate rest from toil. Glory grows for a person who is energetic and mindful, pure and considerate in action, restrained and vigilant, and who lives the dharma, right? lives aligned with the way it is. Through effort, vigilance, restraint, and self-control, the wise person can become an island. No floods will overwhelm. Unwise, foolish people give themselves over to negligence. The wise protect vigilance as the greatest treasure. So that's sort of interesting, and a lot of you know that the... Buddha spoke before he died. He talked about apamada, this word for vigilance or persistence or um, dedication, diligence. He said, practice in this wholehearted way. Everything comes and goes. This is sort of a rough paraphrase of his last words before he died. Everything comes and goes. Practice with great commitment, with a wholehearted, devoted persistence. 
it works, right? It's like he's saying, it works. It was interesting, I um, had a meeting with a practitioner recently, and it was so, what's one of the nice parts of this job is just hearing people talk about their practice, and not that often, but uh, every once in a while, somebody who sustained, sincere, dedicated practice over months, they start having the insights that all practitioners have. They start seeing the way it is in a way that really transforms the mind. And it is not like we think it is. That's like Saida Utejaniya, this very wonderful, wise, current teacher, contemporary teacher from Burma. He says about insight, about waking up, this process of waking up, it's always surprising. It doesn't matter how much we're told that things are impermanent or things are unsatisfactory or things are impersonal. When the mind begins to awaken to the nature, underlying nature, it's surprising and at times momentarily or for short periods of time scary, but ultimately liberating and and profoundly transforming in ways we literally can't imagine. I mean, we can tell ourselves we imagine it will be like this, but it's not how it actually is. It's always like a weight we don't realize we're carrying begins to be removed. And it's surprising. Didn't realize that this much burden was being carried. Another important thing about effort, you know, in terms of recognizing it, this devotion. Right? The sincere devotional wholeheartedness that comes out of realizing that it matters. Right? Really, so it's born out of this insight into karma. Intention matters. How the mind is relating matter matters. Or even more deeply, how the mind views things, how the mind frames experience really matters. And so, in a sense, the heart becomes devoted because it matters, because it doesn't feel helpless. There's a way to engage life that matters. So if there's something you really want in your life and you found a way to really make it happen, wouldn't we be energized? You know, if we want to make our world a better place, and uh, we started to, you know, come upon some leadership and some people who have good organizing skills and resources started to flow and things started to shift and the community started to work more harmoniously together, right? The energy would really build. But if every attempt to initiate change didn't lead anywhere, what would that lead to? Well, more and more helplessness and giving up. And you see this, you know, having worked 
in the schools for a number of years back in the 80s and 90s, um, you see this with children so clearly. Like when they're on a roll, their confidence builds, they become literally smarter. And when people are told that they're no good or have experienced failure in different ways, they underperform what they're capable at a level they're capable of performing. And we can see this in our own life all the time. So part of uh, another force that we can use is this force of hiri otapa, which is a beautiful, I think, alchemy in practice where we're taking the difficult things in our life and we're turning them into spiritual gold. So instead of our failures, our lack of success being a dead weight on our heart and mind, which encourages us to not apply the mind, not bring that wholeheartedness, we can understand the mistakes that have been made as a kind of spiritual understanding. I'm so glad I know that that doesn't work. So that regret becomes then a positive force for effort. Like, And initially, this is a lot of what we have confidence in. Like, that doesn't work. Oh, honey, be careful. Don't do that again. So that regret and that wholesome concern, you see, that has a real quality of vigilance. I may not know where I'm going. I may not know how to be happy. But I have some pretty good ideas what doesn't work. You know, being stingy, like I see my conditioned mind. I've been observing it for many decades now. All the ways it tries to convince me that taking care of myself will lead to happiness. Getting into my nice little corner where I'm safe and I have, and I don't have to deal with anything else and any of the problems of the world. And it's a very compelling vision for the way my mind is conditioned. But every time I explore that, I feel the disappointment, the betrayal, the sting of it. It doesn't lead to happiness. It leads to being isolated and disconnected and stingy, tight, stingy heart. So knowing that that's not the way has really kept me more and more in my life sort of in the middle of things and showing up in places I don't want to show up and finding that there's a lot of energy there. There's a lot of learning and, lo and behold, joy and contentment and tranquility and stillness because I'm realizing something really profound. I don't have to run from the things I don't like, that I find messy. So this, it sounds, you know, so mundane, this teaching on hiri otapa, wholesome regret and wholesome concern, but we can really tap into that energy and it will take us, like, it will really support being a student and appreciating the messy, challenging places in life.
there's a quote here I want to read, see if I can find it. This is from Ajahn Tanisaro. The oppressive sense of shock, dismay, and alienation that come with realizing the futility and meaningless of life as it is normally lived, out of greed, anger, and delusion, like thinking that if I just get my act together and become totally independent of all the messiness and all the incompetence of the world, then I'll be happy. Right? I mean, that's kind of the basic approach to happiness. Not to be dependent on anybody, because you can't count on anybody. And that's true emotionally and financially and, you know, in all ways. Yeah. The oppressive sense of shock, dismay, and alienation that comes with realizing the futility and meaningless of life that is a as it's normally lived, a chastening sense of one's own complacency and foolishness in having let oneself live so blindly, and an anxious sense of urgency in trying to find a way out of the meaningless cycle. This is his definition of samvega. This is Ajahn Tanisaro. Samvega is the word that's usually translated as spiritual urgency, like this. And... This is, you know, Buddhism is different. The way the Buddha taught is a little different than you find in most other spiritual traditions because he emphasized initially what we're going to come to understand is what's not the way. And what he refrained from doing to a large degree is dangling like, this is what you get. This is the spiritual goody you get when you're good. And he was more like, if you don't do anything, if you don't check out, waking up, if you don't check out these teachings, these practices of waking up, this is what you're going to get. You know, these endless cycles of samsara, of just feeling betrayed, thinking if only, and then feeling betrayed when, if you get it, that it didn't really change anything. But there's something uh, really trustworthy because very quickly, we don't have to be a brilliant saint, uh, a fully enlightened being, before we directly, immediately in our own experience, see the truth. Like, oh yeah, it isn't working. You know, pursuing my self-interest is not leading to happiness. And, and knowing that, like even if I only know that a little bit, to that degree, then, I'm not pursuing, I'm not going down that empty road to some degree, right? To a little less degree. And so I immediately experience some freedom from being slightly less devoted to what doesn't lead to happiness. Does that make sense? So in terms of that that building, that feedback loop, by this emphasi- by the Buddha emphasizing 
the direct insights we all have begun to have about what doesn't work, what doesn't lead to happiness. In terms of karma, understanding cause and effect. And the thing is, once the mind, once the discerning mind, the wisdom in the mind is hooked in to this investigation of cause and effect and what leads to the unbinding of the heart, you see, there's no stopping it because it's a natural process. The mind just happily keeps following the thread as any child would, right? But the, the point is we have to find the thread to begin with. We have to begin to stop pursuing happiness in ways that don't deliver happiness just long enough to be clearly aware that it's not delivering. And that's that insight. And that's what the Buddha means by seeing the difference between what's skillful and what's not skillful. This isn't helping. This seems to be supporting a release, a letting go, an opening up, a freeing up. And we're seeing that directly in a non-conceptual way. That insight isn't dependent on anybody or any teaching, any external thing whatsoever. And it so it affects the mind. It's in a way it can't be forgotten. It like affects the mind going forward. So we need to break into small groups. I think everybody knows the routine. So again, anything around investigation that has been interesting for your mind, anything around that sustained present moment awareness, a deepening understanding of mindfulness, or anything you're interested, seeing, have seen around energy effort in your mind. Remember, you have your full three minutes. Take a few seconds now, scanning through your practice and what might be relevant to bring up in this small group. Any thoughts about what has supported, strengthened mindfulness or investigation or any of the factors? What gets in the way? What weakens them? So I think if we count off by 25, we might be about right tonight. Casey, you want to start? This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.